Well, hello, and now that you're not hearing us over the buffer, uh, <laughs> welcome to Technical Difficulties with the Badgers, otherwise known as HBR Talk 249. What does their letter to Congress expose about feminist organizations? Uh, and, uh, I don't know why it's my, my computer is being an ass tonight. But for some reason, it didn't want to switch scenes. So we'll see if if um, we'll see if this works. All right, yeah, under the buffer. Um, that uh, that would that would result in me taking a nap. I, like I could use one, totally could use one. So I'm your host Hannah Wallen here with Nonsense Annihilator Lauren Books, Lauren Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Although I bet you like books. Um, and, (laughs) and yes, we're still slogging through a crappy one. Feminists claim that despite everything, men are still somehow not doing enough for the women's. But before we find out from feminists what they think you've got to do, we've got to do what we've got to do. As always, Honey Badger Radio dishes out a smorgasbord of thought-provoking discussions. And as experiences both recent and long past have demonstrated, the provoked thoughts are fighting back. And I'm echoing. Sorry. <laughs> they made it clear that for people like us, relying on third-party third-party payment platforms like Patreon to fund our work is treading on thin ice, or building our house in the path of a rapidly growing wildfire. In light of this, we strongly encourage at least our supporters, to switch at least their support for us to FeedTheBadger.com, the most stable way to help us out. And if you want to tip us directly instead of relying on any social media platforms tip jar, the link for that is FeedTheBadger.com slash tip. And that for some reason, I think that seems to work better. Um, I think almost every live stream um, for the last couple months it's, it seems like every week I find one after the stream is over. Like, it, it, in in YouTube, you know, like, I, I find one super chat that uh, it looks like it should have come through earlier, but I didn't see it earlier. So, but the, the, um, the uh, super chows, those actually are just by themselves in uh, a uh, Discord chat that I can open up and see all of them together and yeah yeah and none of it goes to Google none of it goes to Google (laughs) that's right and nobody comes along and says well since we didn't like what you said we're just going to confiscate the money from this which I think right might be illegal but they're getting away with it so far so there we go yeah they're working their loopholes all they can (laughs) yes yes that's what it is loopholes uh, that's the kind of holes. <laughs> so in any case, if you want to rely, if you want to tip us directly, remember feedthebadger.com slash just the tip. And of course, as always, the same risk applies to our social media platforms, which is why you should further provoke the thought police by tracking our thought provoking discussions on honeybadgerbrigade.com, where you can find your way to all of our content, as well as a link to feedthebadger.com in the drop down menu at the top of the page. Well, guys, <laughs> you know what time it is. It's whampering time. It's what happens when women <laughs> whine. 
and you have to call the <laughs> ambulance for the women. It's a perfect segue because uh, you you know I, I I do like books, and so I'm sitting here flipping back and forth between the Discord screen and and this shit piece of shit article that we're gonna go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, my my new favorite book is entitled Where by <laughs> <laughs> by, oh. by by the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Oh God! That's what their brother said. <laughs> oh my God! That's the that's the last picture that's posted in Discord. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's what they were going over. I think in the last uh, live stream yes. is uh, the South Park episode about this, which I haven't seen, so no you, spoilers. You have to see. I it's actually, very good. I have been out of the loop on a whole bunch of things for about the last week. I am working on a video. I saw a country music song. I didn't like it, and I got pissed off. And this and and when you guys find out why, you will totally understand. It's a thirty-minute rant, or approximately a thirty-minute rant. Um, <laughs> and it's it's coming, it's coming down the pike. I'm I'm about a third of the way, somewhere between a third of the way and halfway through, uh, this adding the slideshow to the video. So uh, so you have that coming this this probably this weekend or by Monday at the at the latest. Um. <laughs> to look forward to. I can't to. wait. I, oh. I'm so I'm excited for it because, as you guys, I haven't heard the song yet. So I, I and I've just been listening to what Hannah's been telling me about it, and I am so ready <laughs> to yeah. see what's happening. It's it's I I'm really sure that it's going to be a very good one, one for the books, shall we say? Yeah. Hey. It, it is it is a <laughs> hell of a stupid song. I I honestly in my opinion. And I I know what the guy was trying to capitalize on when he wrote it. Um and it's like obviously gynocentrism, but not just gynocentrism. There was another song that was highly successful and you'll know what I'm talking about. When you when you find out what song I'm talking about, uh, real Raven, <laughs> I just might. I I have a couple of lyric lines already in my head for that. <laughs> yeah, I just we, might write got, a song. <laughs> uh, we've got some songs that we have to do. Yeah, I've got I've got one in the works uh, as as a response to um um before he cheats. Yes, that's. That, uh, <laughs> I have the lyrics. But I don't want to use the same music. But I'm not a music writer, <laughs> so I'm working on it. Um, I'm working on it, just in the background. Oh, that sounds great! I will. Raven wants to produce it for us. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! All right. So I'm echoing again. Why the hell? There we go. Sorry. Sometimes you have to mute and to keep me from echoing, and sometimes. I can talk without echoing. It's really messed up. <sighs> but it is whampering time. Let's see if you guys notice anything this, this article uh, indicates about the history of feminist activism. So last week we got down to the uh, Strength and Access to Care for Survivors paragraph. And we read about the frequency and demographic stuff they said about sexual violence and that's as far as we got about marginalized identities and blah blah blah, blah. like the this the shit they always say right mm. um and and then the next line really gets me because like we here we are we 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 talk about you know there there are uh, race mm. ethnicity tribe gender class sexual orientation uh progressive stack everybody in the progressive stack you know except straight white men um 
But everybody in the progressive stack is vulnerable to this, especially women. Mm-hmm. Um, but the impact of sexual violence exists beyond the moment, it says. Or moments. Yeah, because uh, it, 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 it definitely, if there's a struggle, takes more than a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and an abuser attacks a survivor. Uh, the experience of any form of violence shifts the physiological body, which makes me think of, you know, getting knocked across the room. Um, including the systemic trauma of sexual harm. Survivors experience a higher rate of mental health diagnoses, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart attacks, suicide attempts, eating disorders, and other stress-related illnesses. Okay, yada, 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 right? I I, want to take this back to the beginning of the sentence that we started. (laughs) The impact of sexual violence exists beyond the moment or moments. So meaning it happens once and then it happens again, right? So so you're in this relationship with this abuser, right? And, And it's happening and you don't leave when it happens, right? You stay and then it happens again right and then you stay and you know it can go on and on until whatever decides to break the cycle right there's a legal there's a legal term called condemnation right so it's like if you date a guy and you give him money and then you know you break up and yada yada well and then you get back together and you know, everything's fine. Maybe you give him some more money and then you break up again, right? And then you say, well, he did me wrong. This was a loan and now he owes me that money, right? He, he I want my money back that I loaned him. Well, okay, the first time maybe you were stupid and maybe you were tricked, maybe whatever, maybe he, it was a loan, whatever, but you took him back. Yeah. After that point, you really don't have a leg to, well, this is in this case, if you're talking about a court of equity, not talking about like abuse or whatever, that that's a completely different level because those are, those are more than just civil charges. Right. 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 But and it's, but it's, it's, it's this idea that, you know, something happens and, and, oh, I stayed, but, I, I just don't you have to stand up for yourself and say hey listen something happened to me and not go back and if you keep going back I'm sorry I don't know how much empathy I'm supposed to have for you in that situation yeah I, I, it's <sighs> here's the tough thing um feminists like to talk about this stuff like it it is true for women and women are the the ones that that need the um the help right specifically women and not anybody else and they don't care um you know if it happens to anybody else right but the truth is that when this stuff happens uh, and it affects it does affect those things like i i will be i'll be blunt i've had uh physical damage from multiple types of um of physical violence right i've had physical and psychological damage from that i've had i've got scars from things that happened to me when i was a little kid physical scars uh, and i've had scars 
um, from things that happened to me when I was a little kid that have affected some of my physical activities and uh, you know some of some of my bodily function uh, and that's that's not going to go away then there's no um sugar coating i had to have surgery to remove scar tissue and uh, like that story is hell in and of itself but um i'm not you know I, it's one of those things when I talk about stuff like this to people and everybody's always like, oh, you poor thing, this and you know, like, don't do that. I'm, mm. I, it's the stuff I'm talking about happened, almost all of it happened uh, more than 30 years ago. So we're not talking about something that like, I'm not having nightmares now about it, I'm, you know, I'm not, um, it, the only reason it bothers me to talk about it is because it's not the thing I want people to think about when they think about me. But, uh, you know, the point that, that it makes to talk about it is, like, what I've experienced, I recognize that most guys have experienced it in some way or another from, you know, maybe not sexual violence, but fist fights, um, getting getting mugged, being in places where they're in danger of getting mugged, uh, you know, and and physical damage from violence is traumatic, but it's not necessarily significantly more traumatic than physical damage from a scary accident. Mm-hmm. Like I, I honestly was as traumatized being in a car accident where I saw my mom almost die when I was ten, as I was from being sexually assaulted. Uh, so like. It's not unique. Feminists like to treat it like it's unique. Um, it's the uh, sensation of it or the, the trauma of it might have a different... Um, it, it, it's a different experience, I guess, uh, would be a good way to put it. And it can mess you up in different ways than other types of trauma messes you up. It messes up interpersonal interactions... Whereas a trauma related to being in the car um, can mess up. Like I was afraid to learn to drive when I was in in high school until I really needed to for specific reasons, um, and and that was I couldn't trace that back to that accident, you know, and I overcame that because I wanted to make money, <laughs> uh, but. Right. And and I really wanted, I wanted to make money, and I wanted a date, and I didn't want to date until I had a driver's license. Uh, But those things, when feminists treat sexual violence um, specifically against women and girls, like it is a unique, separate trauma that is so different from all other traumas, that it supersedes all of them in in um, a position of deserving your compassion and any um, legislative action and community action uh, to remedy or prevent or punish, right? It's, uh, it's dishonest and it's damaging and harmful both to survivors of sexual assault who have a right to recover you know, and and have a right to not hold on to trauma longer than is natural for us. Mm-hmm. Right? It's that that's damaging, and it's damaging to people who go through other traumas. 
Like, I don't think there's... You can't compare that, for instance, to the trauma of um, being in in battle. Being a veteran of battle. And, uh, you know, like, the probably the only thing I have ever experienced that's even remotely on the same page as that was getting into... Um, getting into a, a situation where about five or six girls attacked me at the same time. And I I didn't actually have to go through that whole fight because <laughs> my my friend told them where I was from and they, they got scared and ran away. Because that was after I had uh, unfortunately had to dish out a little bit of violence. And I say a little bit, I broke one of their noses. Nice. Um, <laughs> and ripped all the jewelry out of another one's face. <laughs> but that was, uh, like, and doing that stuff, like, being involved in that stuff, like, that's a moment. But there are men, and there have been men for hundreds of years, who have had extended, like, years-long experiences of being in crisis mode because of violence in war, where they are in fear for their lives, repeatedly in the moment, like right now, immediate fear for their lives, and in an understanding that those moments could happen again at any time throughout their entire tour of duty. And mm. I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything else that might compare to that. Um, even being in a situation of um, partner abuse. You're dealing with one person. Right. Right. You live with that one person and you have that that potential for it to be bad enough to cause you that level of fear. But you're dealing with one person. And I just I, for feminists to treat sexual violence, uniquely sexual violence against women again as as if it supersedes the compassion that we should have even for soldiers who come back from uh, tours of duty in which they experienced uh, combat and and which they were attacked in which they were um, traveling in areas where there might be explosive devices that, that they didn't know about that they might trigger and die at any moment. Like, you can't compare that. And the truth is, if somebody's been through a trauma, they deserve compassion. Uh, and it's to our benefit to have that compassion. And, uh, it, you know, not just to their benefit. Right? It, it benefits you when you show compassion for another person and you are able to experience alleviating someone else's pain and suffering to any degree at all. Um, there's a there's a boost that both both people get. It it's almost like we're a super organism, and healing them helps to heal you. Mm -hmm. right? And it's so it's to be, everybody's benefit if we are compassionate to trauma survivors, regardless of what their trauma is. Um, yeah, it's not to our benefit to start stacking them up and going, well, this trauma de you know, deserves more compassion than that trauma. And you have to p pay homage to how bad this trauma is, regardless of all of these other traumas um, and, and so on. Like that, that really is uh, useless. So when I see stuff like this, you know, uh, well, women have it worse. No, women don't have it worse. 
when a man is sexually abused or a boy is sexually abused, there's the trauma is going to affect him a little differently, but it's not less. Right? right. There are some things that affect men and boys in regard to um, experiencing being a victim of any type of violence that's, uh, that's different than what girls feel. When I talk about having been a victim of violence, um, aside from people who grew up in my neighborhood, nobody treats me like I'm um, less because I was uh, victimized, because I was vulnerable and dominated, right? Nobody treats me like that, takes away from um, my, I don't know, potency, strength, respectability, um, is, there's just compassion, mm -hmm. right? But um, when a guy is defeated in an attack of any kind, there are people that will treat him like that. They treat him like a wimp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's downright scary how apathetic a lot of women are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just not even just apathetic, but they are mean about it, too. You know, it's like they're just trying to get this aggression out on, on anyone. And, you know, there's, well, there's a man. Let's, <laughs> let's rage at him until he just bows down and, and says, yes, dear, you know. It, it's really scary. Yeah. and And the thing is, when you treat somebody... After they've been through a real physical trauma, and then one that is terrifying and painful and and uh, degrading, you know, and then you treat them like, well, you should have been able to put a stop to that yourself. Mm -hmm. You should have been able to do something about it. You shouldn't have been overpowered. Um, you know, that's that's adding is that to not, the trauma. Is that is that like, not victim blaming? Right, and, and you know and. Feminists, if, if you even treat women like, um, you know, well, you should have tried, feminists treat that as an, another attack on the victim, right? Right. Um, and it used to be, you know, you were not considered a rape victim unless you fought back until they started realizing, well, you know, children don't fight back. Like, right. children can't fight back. And then if somebody points a gun at you, you're not going to fight back. Um, or, you know, most people are not going to fight back especially if uh, you're in a situation where you are, you know, visually impaired or have other issues that prevent you from being able to fight back. And then they had to talk about, you know, well, people that are drugged, you know, that, that are unconscious or uh, drugged into uh, uh, being um, incapable of, of fighting back. Like, they're still victims, right? Okay, so, yeah. But they'll still victim blame men who are sexually um, victimized by women. Well, couldn't you do something? I mean, you're bigger and stronger than her, right? Well, not necessarily. Right. Like, and I, I keep keep going back to this one guy <laughs> I dated um, back in the 90s. I went out with a guy for a while that was enough lighter weight and shorter than me. Um, he was older than me by about 10 years, but he was enough lighter weight and shorter than me that I could pick him up and carry him. Mm -hmm. Like, literally picked him up and carried him. Because um, he didn't think I could do it. 
<laughs> like, I worked in a nursing home. I can pick you up, you know. Um, we had that argument, and and then I did. And that, so we, we actually ended up dating longer because of that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, there, I'm not the biggest girl I know, right? I'm not the biggest gal. I'm, I'm like right now I'm only five foot eight. I used to be five, nine and a half. Um, and at that point I was five, nine and a half and athletic. It was in my twenties, you know, and, and very strong. I I could pick up somebody that weighed almost as much as I did. Um, and I think that knowing that there are women who are bigger and stronger than me, like I went to university with some gals that were six feet tall, um, that, that were, you know, uh, in the weightlifting club that, you know, were involved in activities, uh, sports activities, like they were in pretty good shape. That guy would have been toast if one of them had wanted to hurt him. And that's that's just reality. Some guys are smaller and some guys are bigger. And the other thing is, you don't necessarily have to just use your own physical capabilities. Women, when they want to hurt men, they use poison, they use weapons, they use other men. Mm-hmm. Um, they use threats of false allegations. You know, if they want to uh, sexually violate a guy, then, well, you do it or I'm going to say you did it to me. Like, this is uh, very typical female behavior when it comes to females who are aggressive. Like, females who are not aggressive don't do that kind of crap. But females who are aggressive do. And uh, there is no getting around that. So when you traumatize a guy that way, and then you turn around and gaslight him about his... If he did defend himself... Right. If he uh, if he did defend himself, um, he's he's the bad guy all of a sudden. He's the abuser. You yep. try to kill him and he hits you back. Like I have a friend that that was convicted of assault, assault for stopping a woman on her second attempt to stab him in the throat, <laughs> in the throat. Like she went for the jugular. And he was the bad guy. Insane. Yeah. So even a judge will gaslight a man about stuff like this. right? Even a judge will turn around. Well, you were too rough with her. You should have stopped her more gently. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you serious? She was drunk. She she was drunk. She didn't know what she was doing. Oh, she was high. It doesn't matter that (laughs) she's punching you while she's drunk. No, you should know better because you're more sober than she is, presumably. How you uh, determine that at that point in time, one only knows, you know, because there are varying degrees of sobriety that people are in, especially in these kind of situations. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this, this idea um, that feminists are complaining that in the... Oh, more than a hundredth year after women got the vote, right? Hundred third year after after women got the vote, um, we are uh, we are suffering from a lack of compassion from men as victims of uh, any type of violence, whereas everybody else gets gets treated just fine. Bullshit. And and yes, night motorcyclist. True, women had the vote. 
um, we got the federal vote. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I say got the vote because it was just handed to us. Yep. Like, we didn't... I know women protested and whined a lot and were uh, mean to their husbands about it and everything. <laughs> but men, especially men from some particular cultures, had to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Like, there were no voting rights in the United States before there was a United States in terms of um, what laws were going to uh, what laws were going to govern the United States. We didn't get a say. That was one of the reasons why we had have a United States now and not, you know, we're not part of part of Canada and we're not part of England. Like right. and uh, men fought for that. There were some women involved, um, but the the people who were doing the guerrilla warfare warfare that was men, right? Yep. And every conflict we've had defending our nation has always been men. Like men defended our nation from uh, attacks over and over again, and then men got exploited as um, world police in the last century. And we seem to have not figured out, even in this century, that that's a dumb idea. But women, we got the vote handed to us. Mm-hmm. It's, it kills me because there's still people, people who are on this side of the conversation that believe that the first and second waves of feminism were somehow good and benevolent. It's just this last wave. It's just those women that hated men. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. Nope. Nope. Women even ran for president before. You know, women like, here we go, uh, Victoria Woodhull, night motorcyclist, knows his history, uh, ran for president in the 1880s. Women, yep. um, in the western states came into the United States with voting rights. Um, New Jersey, up until the predecessor to the Democrat Party lost an election because of this, New Jersey just let everybody vote. Like, you could vote more than once. You you didn't have to be a citizen to vote, like, of New Jersey. <laughs> like, you just, if you showed up, you voted. Male, yeah. female, didn't matter. Right? But, uh, but yeah. We had our our um, we had a lot of things handed to us. Men have done a hell of a lot for women, for you know feminists to be whining here, and this mm-hmm. is this is the point. Like this paragraph reads as though feminism in the last hundred and three years since since uh, and like that's half of uh, American feminism. Because it's been around since um, the 19th century. It's almost like nothing was ever accomplished by feminists. Yeah. <laughs> like, what have they got done if they're still whining? But, but, that... you still, but they need, we need feminism, Hannah. You, you yeah. absolutely need it because it's just so, yeah, you just need it a little bit harder, Hannah. You just need feminism that much more, and then it'll be good. Got a feminist harder because you, you know, got a feminist harder. Yeah, we got a feminist harder. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking at this. And I'm like, all right. So we've had, even even if we don't go with overall feminism, like we look at the last what my whole life, 
actually. Maybe more. Um, I maybe 60 years of activism on intimate partner and sexual violence, different different uh, topics early on, and then they sort of meshed them together. And um, I cannot remember uh, what year Aaron Pitsy started the shelter movement in the UK. But this kind of thing, like, various women have been active on this, and then feminists took it over, um, kicked all the women out that were non-feminist. But They've been doing this for half a century, like activism on this for half a century, specifically this, and yet they're still whining as though you know nothing has been done. Mm-hmm. Like, are there no organizations to provide care for survivors? I thought there were shelters. I, in fact, we went up against one in court, 1971, the year before I was born. Uh, that was Filerator. So, uh, and then Meredith G. says 1972, which is the year I was born. So, somewhere in that area. Um, so that's, that's 50 years. Right there. Like, half a century, and they have accomplished, accomplished so little that they're complaining to Congress about it. And then they go on, right? Because, like, yes, all these things happen to people who have been, um victims of of uh intimate partner or sexual violence and they again don't necessarily have com- compassion for men or boys over this um boys who have experienced sexual violence at the hands of adults are up to 8 times more likely to commit suicide mhm and yet there is no feminist outrage at all in fact, they will defend it uh, in regard to the phenomenon of women exploiting boys sexually in um, juvenile detention facilities. And, uh, you know, you got feminists like Jermaine Greer writing really pedophile books about boys and uh, you know, putting pictures on the cover that the boy in the picture is, is uh, not happy about his picture being used and feels taken advantage of and stuff like that like feminists really don't care about sexual assault victims who happen to be male and who happen to be abused by women Mm-mm. it's a little inconvenient that <laughs> yep so if they have all these stress related illnesses if they have all these you know like they, they develop eating disorders they have high blood pressure they have heart attacks they they commit suicide uh, or attempt suicide, um, develop mental health conditions over this, well, they're not as important as girls. So mm-hmm. they just toss them by the wayside. Yep. The fight for reproductive justice. Now they're going to talk about reproductive justice. Justice. <laughs> justice. So let's, 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 let's examine that word for a minute, because here we go. Reproductive justice and survivor justice. The, the fight for these are intricately connected, as stolen consent and the violation of bodily autonomy are central to both. Alright, so how, when did the fetus become a perpetrator? Right. <laughs> it's a baby's fault. Damn you, baby! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. Just blows my. Mind. He got conceived on purpose, right? <laughs> you know, up in up in uh, 
you know, the, the, the pre-life has to be in heaven, right? You can't start out in hell. It has to start out in heaven. Up in heaven with a little uh, game controller controlling the sperm and the egg and making them get right. closer to each other. Right? Right. Oh, look, here we go. Here we go. We're going to get it. And, and, oh, it didn't go in. Well, let's try with another one. Oh, it didn't go in. Um, no, like that just... <laughs> and then you get achievement! Conception! And all of a sudden you're yanked out of heaven and, and boom. Now you're, you've been conceived. But it's not a living thing, right? It just has the agency to be culpable for uh, the, uh, the, the crimes of the father. Being forced to carry a pregnancy to term after an assault can be increasingly harmful, both physically and psychologically, as well as financially, and further diminish survivor agency. So here's the um, here's the thing about that. When you when a woman gets pregnant, we have chemical changes that take place in our brain. When you have a miscarriage, um, you actually go through a uh, level or scope of postpartum depression. I've experienced that. It's not. Um, it's really weird because. It's, uh, on one hand, you don't have to know you're, you're pregnant for a miscarriage to happen, um, and for you to find out that you've had a miscarriage. It's, it's something that, if, a pregnancy is a delicate thing, actually, and a lot can go wrong with it. So it's something that isn't uncommon. It's, it's not incredibly rare. Uh, a lot of women, um, have experienced this. And it's it's discombobulating. You don't know why you feel this way. Nobody comes along and says, Oh, well, your brain was going through chemical changes because you were going through hormonal changes because you had conceived a baby and now it's gone. And uh, so those changes abruptly stopped and you're going through the same thing that happens, you know, after birth, right? So when you have an abortion, the same thing happens. And I've watched friends go through this. I have never experienced it um, myself, obviously, because I don't, I, I wouldn't ever have an abortion. But um, the worst thing about the narrative regarding abortion is that when, you know, you figure out as a patient this is happening to you, at least if you contact your uh, your gyno after a miscarriage and say, this is happening, your gyno will explain it. Mm. Right? You contact your abortion provider while you're going through postpartum following the removal of the baby. They gaslight you. Mm. And uh, I, I have seen one gal become suicidal because of that gaslighting specifically. I can't be feeling this way. It's not right. It's not real. I must be going crazy. It's, you know, uh, it, it's all my fault. And I don't know what, why this is happening. Now imagine going through that gaslighting, that, that postpartum and that gaslighting after the trauma of a rape. Jesus. <laughs> so it's not exactly compassionate 
to insist that abortion is the best course of action for a rape victim who gets mm. pregnant. Right? It's bad enough to go through the weird emotional trauma of an early miscarriage where uh, you don't really know why you are uh, feeling that way about it um, after after the trauma of rape. It's, it, it would just be one level worse if you had caused it yourself. And now, the other thing is, there are women who, ex- you know, who experience pregnancy, go through an abortion uh, in their teens or 20s, and then later on in their lives, they have a moral change or an epiphany or whatever you want to call it. Personally, I consider it to be an epiphany. They figure out, you know, this was this was not the best course of action. This was not right. It wasn't good for them, and it was unethical, uh, and you know, or immoral uh, by their standards. And they go through the trauma of uh, judging themselves for it, and it's not inflicted from the outside. It's their own judgment, and I've seen that happen too. Imagine going through that after the trauma of a rape. Like, we're talking um, the whole uh, nine yards guilt, uh, regret, emotional pain, mourning, because you suddenly realized that was your baby, your yeah. baby. They always talk about it like it's it's her body, her baby, her everything until she, until they want an abortion because of rape, and then it's his. Mm-hmm. She has nothing to do with it. It's very very strange framing there. Yeah. So I like I don't like the idea of talking about rape as a or as abortion as a rape issue because I think that's bull. Um, it's, it's not, it doesn't untraumatize you. It doesn't unrape you. It just Mm -hmm. adds another trauma. And yeah, childbirth can add another trauma too. So what you're doing is just choosing which trauma to inflict on the uh, victim afterward. Right. So, it's just, uh, that, that just... Again, very distasteful in my opinion. And of course, we're right back to what a feminist accomplished in the last hundred years. If they're whining about this. Mm-hmm. Um, policies regarding victim veri- verification mechanisms can lead to elongated waiting periods, increasing the likelihood of gestational limitations. In other words, uh, they don't want to have to confirm that a woman is a rape victim in order to have her abortion be legal and they want her to be able to say she was a rape victim and that makes the abortion legal and uh and then um you know or they want abortion to be just legal and she doesn't have to say she's a rape victim and uh, they don't they don't want her to have to disclose right well here's the thing Less than 2% of abortions, if you add together rape, incest, and situations uh, where the 
pregnancy is a threat to the life of the mother. The gestational process is a threat to the life of the mother. Not she's upset about it and she's going to commit suicide, but her body can't handle the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. You're looking at less than 2%. That's it. All three of those together. And I think less than 1% is accounted for by rape. So the, the overwhelming majority of abortion is elective. So they're wanting to use, they're wanting to exploit rape victims to justify the 99% of abortions that are done for other reasons. Exactly. So they say, we urge the 118th Congress to prioritize passing bills that would truly create, protect, and expand access to abortion that our coalitions are advocating for. Moreover, we urge the 118th to affirm that everyone has a right to the, to access the health care they need, including transgender patients and survivors of abuse and assault. So are they counting uh, boys who, the boys who didn't die after getting circumcised? Because like, about 100 a year die from that, uh, and yeah. the rest are maimed for life. Right. So are they advocating that Congress pass laws uh, facilitating and funding um, foreskin restoration? uh, Please. Please. No, we're only concerned about the penises that we want to cut off. Well, I I mean, fully, not just the the tip. The whole thing, right? But, okay, I thought we were talking about abortion. So why why does the transgender thing have to be, like, shoehorned in there? You know, it's just like you're just trying to make it a thing. Because... The people who get pregnant who are women. <laughs> but pregnant people. Ones, right. Are the ones that need the health care. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not a doctor around that's saying, oh, you, you're, you're, did you cut your tits off? But you're pregnant. I don't understand this. Well, I can't help you. No. Doctors understand what pregnancy is. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you're a transgender person. You're pregnant and you get health care. It, it's, it's. Again, what is this transgender health care that they're trying to shoehorn in there? It just sounds like a, a socialist, like how they're trying to sh- fit the, the Green New Deal into every bill that they pass through Congress. Yes. Right now, now every everything that they want Congress to, they say, we got to get the transgender people in here. You know, just, come on. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sick. It's sick. So, uh, yeah, wait, wait till I read the rest of this. So we have. <laughs> Exemptions for cases of rape and incest communicate that birthing people, birthing people, Uh, only have a right to bodily autonomy after they have been violated. And as such, these exemptions should not be seen as acceptable pathways to strengthening access to care for survivors. Okay, let's eliminate them. We don't, we don't make exceptions anymore for those, those issues. Only, only in cases where... Um, the the mother's not going to survive continuing gestation to the point of viability upon delivery. There mm-hmm. we go. Problem solved. Right. And at birthing people. <laughs> uh, we further urge Congress to invest in closing maternal and other health disparities. So we want to close health disparities, huh? Are are they going to start funding more health initiatives for men? Because they fund a shitload of them for women. Wait, health disparities? Mm-hmm. What? 
do that? What do you <laughs> What do you mean you want Congress to come in and tell people how to live their lives? What do you mean health disparity? What does this mean? What does this mean? If I'm 300 pounds, you want Congress to to close that gap between my 300 pound massive person and and a 100 pound person? Like what what does this mean? Health disparities. Everyone has health disparities. We're all different. Like, <laughs> Jesus yep. Christ. Oh, jeez. It's, it's, this, this is, again, they complain about the white men in Congress that make all these rules over their bodies. But this is what they want them to do. Then they're yep. going to, to, to please, please help us. Please, we need to get you, get, get me, please, please. But don't, but, oh my God, I, just, I can't. Yeah. Uh, well, and the, the the best part of this is, so we, we do have a shitload of health initiatives for women. And mm -hmm. on top of the health initiatives for women, the United States funds the, uh, you know, the whole organization, Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is a private organization. They talk like they're a charity, but everyone involved profits from scaring women and making women feel like um, pregnancy and parenthood are just the worst things that could ever happen to them, but they can't do anything about it, even though we have a shitload of types of birth control. Mm -hmm. Like, we have all the control in the world over it. Alright, so this organization is supposedly in place to provide health care for uh, obtaining birth control, health care for problems with the, the reproductive system. So, for instance, um, every year we're supposed to go in and, and uh, let the gynecologist splunk in, in our nethers to find out if we have the cancers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you do, then you get the cancers removed and, and stuff. But they're supposed to be checking for that. They're supposed to be doing the, the all of the yuckety tests and boob smashing tests that to find <laughs> out if you have the, the cancers of the boobies. Um, the most one of the most funded types of cancer out there <laughs> research wise and, and looking for a cure and so on. Like very uh very much so breast cancer. And we have all these cute little slogans for it, you know, save the tatas, you know, and stuff like that. Right. Um, it could be your mother, it could be your sister, you know, like, you know what, it actually could be your uncle. Um, there's, mm -hmm. there's a percentage of breast cancer victims who are men, too. That so there's true. a lot of funding for breast cancer. Uh, and, uh, you know, breast cancer research, breast cancer recovery, and so on. Um, but men don't get the same treatment. Men have to pay for their own. They don't. Right. We hear from Planned Parenthood that they provide men's care as well. But when you actually look at the services they provide at specific locations, it's very hard to find locations that uh, do things for men. They're mostly geared toward women. Um, they're mostly geared toward abortion. And uh, they, that's their their main area of uh, profit as well. And uh, they don't really give a flying fuck about men. They only claim to help men because they've been called sexist for not helping men. Right? 
And I can't even imagine what, what kind of services they would offer to a man. A vasectomy. Uh, well, <laughs> but do, but do, yeah. how many of those do they do per year? What, well, how I much mean, of that you is think about budget? it. If I were a guy and I was looking for somebody to do a vasectomy, do you think the first person that I would consider would be a feminist? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want them chicks anywhere near my balls. Nope. No, that would be like, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so I, I like it might partly be because they don't have uh, the trust of the male population. Um, but yeah, I like I would be like, yeah, fuck no. <laughs> uh, but and then, I mean, of course, seriously, is is it even on the front page of the pamphlet? <laughs> like... No. no. <laughs> they do they do provide condoms as well, but I don't even think those are free anymore. Uh, they used to. They used to give out free condoms. Uh, but, uh, but that was like, I think that was about the only thing that they did that was genuinely, you know, like they they get funding from, from the United States government. They get men's tax dollars, mm-hmm. but I don't think they provide things for free to anybody. Yeah. Right. So there you go. Um, if you look at the, if you look at the STD rates, I don't, I don't think, is anybody even using condoms anymore? <laughs> Boy, it's kind of scary. Like statistically speaking, not not realistically, but statistically, half the population of the United States is infected with something. You know, mm. p- part of the reason for that is because there are some people who have multiple things, and it's 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 disgusting to think about. But um, some people uh, really have been through the wars. We'll we'll put it like that. Uh, if somebody is a drug abuser. Uh, like a uh, injectable drug abuser and um, fuels their addiction with with uh, prostitution and and um, you know basically just doesn't defend themselves from these types of infections at all. They are likely it's it's likely they're infected with H HPV. Um, one in six people, I guess, have been, and then it's also likely that they've been infected at least with herpes. Um, and, and that's an unfortunate fact of promiscuity is that, uh, they're, those two, um, they're pretty prolific. And the really sad thing is like, you could wear 10 condoms and, and if you could successfully have sex that way and, uh, you would still, that those are still transmissible. You would still be vulnerable to both of those. Um, so and and you know, we know one causes cancer. They're both herpes viruses are a spectrum of viruses. Like chickenpox is a herpes virus. Those little cold sores people get on their mouths—that's a herpes virus. Mm-hmm. Um, HPV is a herpes virus. Like those are all different viruses from the the herpes family, and so we know one of them causes cancer. Um, we don't necessarily know if there's a relationship between any of the other ones and cancer. Like, I would be, I would actually be shocked if they came out and, and conclusively proved that there was no relationship, for instance, between chicken pox and skin cancer. I mm. bet there is, but, uh, but there you go. Um, and that's, that's just those, like, you know, all the other nasty diseases are still out there too. Uh, but yeah... Um, with all the funding Planned Parenthood gets, what is there for men? 
Because I, I, I think they think they're talking about a disparity women face. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, shingles and uh, chicken pox come from the same virus. That's correct. Um, that's Sarion. Uh, and uh, that that virus is in the herpes family. Uh, let's see. It goes on. Ensure economic security for women and families. Although the pandemic and recovery bills that were passed in the 117th Congress offered desperately needed short-term assistance to families facing economic security, uh, many of those supports have now ended. It's because the lockdowns have now ended. People can right. go to work. Like, you <laughs> don't need welfare if you go to work. Go it's time to, to get work. up off the fucking couch, you lazy bitches. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. This, this is... the. Again, the the more and more we read, this is just a longer and longer list of gibs. Yep. Yeah, and and not all of these, like, one of the things that feminists complained about during the pandemic was that um, women, they said, were a majority of essential workers. Mm-hmm. And then they turned around and said women were the majority of people laid off, too. Laid we off, were. right. I'm like, you can't have <laughs> it both ways. Like, which is, which is, which is true. Right, right. So like, you can't have it both ways, and and I was always I was like disgusted because you think about the um, reality of the virus, you know, versus the way feminists talked about it. You know, it, it was more dangerous to men. Men were more likely to die than women if uh, if they contracted it. That yeah. was figured out early on. So uh, apparently, there was something about. Um, having a Y chromosome that made you more vulnerable, right? So, what do feminists complain about? (laughs) They complain about being the heroes. Women get a chance to be the ones that go to work, the ones that are are the shield for their husbands and their fathers and their brothers and their sons. And uh, being the tough guy, we get a chance to be the tough guy, right? What feminists always say they want women to be perceived as girl power, and they whined about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have to go to work. Right. And everybody else is at home. <laughs> also, did the people that keep your electricity running shut the fuck up? Right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, those are men, almost entirely. Like there are very, very few female electricians. In comparison to how many men there are. The, the people writing this are, are people who... They're the aristocrat, right? They don't have to They don't have to do it. They don't fix anything. They're not... As much as they like to say they're essential, they're not essential. You know, if, I'm sorry. If you can do your job from a couch. There's a good chance that society's not counting on you when a major catastrophe happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, look at what's going on in uh, in Ohio right now. Who do you think's cleaning that up? Is it the ladies? Trump. You know? It's Trump. And I, I, honestly, I, the, the who the companies that do the cleanup, the government agencies that do the cleanup, they probably won't even hire women to do that for a very logical reason, right? Um, especially if you know if they're hiring people who are of reproductive age. Women only ever make one set 
of gametes. Your your eggs and your sperm, for people who don't remember elementary school in the health class, those are your gametes. Those are what contribute to making the baby. Um, ours, ours show up at 16 weeks of gestation in utero. All right, so we never make another one after that. We just drop them. That's it. Like, so if something happens to a woman's body, contamination, disease, anything like that, uh, that would alter the um, quality of our gametes, that's it. Our reproductive capacity has been altered or, or affected for the rest of our lives. It doesn't get better. Whereas... Um, if something happens to a man's body that contaminates the gametes that are in it at the moment, those are going to get disposed of at some point, and new ones will be created. So uh, if it's something that can be processed out of your body and not affect the equipment that produces the gametes, so your, your, your actual testicles are fine, but the gametes might have been affected, you still are able to reproduce healthy babies. You just don't want to do anything for a while after that. So when it comes to um, dealing with any potential bodily contaminant, historically men have always taken that risk and women have not. It's not sexist against women that that happens. It's it's reproductive logic. And, uh, and unfortunately um we have lost the gratitude that we owe men for that because it puts men in danger of other things, obviously. Like if something's going to cause cancer and only men face it, only men are going to get cancer from it. If something is poisonous, you know, aside from being carcinogenic, other ways of being poisonous, and and women are exempt from facing it, then only men are going to get sick from it and only men are going to die from it. Yep. Um, and that that's male disposability in a nutshell, mm -hmm. right? And uh, male disposability used to come with a level of honor and respect and societal gratitude. Thank God for the men who do this mm -hmm. so that everybody else doesn't have to. And now they just, at best, at nicest... They get ignored. But yeah, we, we well, are, we're going to hear about women. Or, 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 or <laughs> what they get or what they get for these jobs is hazard pay. And yeah. then what you get is these women complaining about the wage gap. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. my gosh. <laughs> just just to just to hint that video that I was talking about. I, I had a tweet with a gal about that that is going to show up in that video. And when you see it, you are going to laugh. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So we will go on. Pandemic programs demonstrated the importance of public investments in strengthening, strengthening families' economic security, boosting labor force participation. Uh, well, you can do those two things together, actually, because if you boost labor force participation, families' economic security will follow. Uh, and supporting families' health and well-being. Congress must protect and protect and strengthen. Dun dun dun. 
The <laughs> child tax credit. So, what is the child tax credit? The <laughs> For those who don't know, um so when when you file your taxes, you know, you have you you subtract an amount for being your own dependent or being head of household. If you have a family, the actual head of household t- subtracts from from their income. Usually the 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 man subtracts from his income the that amount again for his wife and then there is a lesser amount that you subtract i think for your children my husband has been doing the taxes since i became um a workaholic <laughs> i will not sugarcoat that either i've i have not had just one job for more than 6 months i've had two or more jobs for 20 years more than 20 years so mm-hmm. I just do that um, and and it's just the way I am and I'm not gonna stop um, I like it <laughs> so I'm not yeah. gonna stop and so I don't have time to do that and he does and he actually took t- accounting in school so I used to do the taxes it's just been that long since I've done them because of that I did the taxes when he was going to school and working full-time uh, and he didn't have time for it. Um, but yeah, so you have this special, on top of all of that, you know, like you're already counting your child as a dependent. You get another tax exemption, a tax credit. Um, that's the thing that's lower than the dependent cost. You, you child counts as much as <coughs> you, you do as a dependent. Uh, so you count... You have if you are a head of household and say nuclear family, husband, wife, two children, right? You have yourself and, and three dependents. And then you get a child tax credit for your two children on top of that. If your yeah. income is between a certain uh level uh, of poverty and a certain level of lower middle class, right? And so what that actually means is if your income is above a certain level of lower middle class, you are paying for those people's kids. Right. And if you're like me and you don't have kids, you get to work your ass off throughout the whole year subsidize these fucking welfare queens, mm-hmm. right? You don't contribute. You don't add anything extra into... You're not consuming anymore, right? It's just you, right? You, it's just you and your your sole carbon footprint, right? You don't have any other stragglers along. You might have a pet or whatever, fine, but you don't, you're not creating other humans to feed off of the system. You get the shaft. Yep. You get nothing, you get absolutely nothing. You get the bill. Exactly. I, I am. That's that's why I was. That's why I growled when you brought this up because because Lauren that, pays taxes like a man. Yes. Yes, I do, <laughs> and I don't like this shit. I'm done. <laughs> you, you should feel that way. You should feel that way. It's, like it's, and 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 it is. I see this, and it's not just welfare queens, right? You, uh, uh, A married couple with kids 
who just don't earn enough money to be above the the level and it's above the poverty level it's a like something like 150 percent or something of the poverty level um where it, it it's it's tiered so if you don't make any money you don't get child tax credit mm-hmm. um if you're completely totally on welfare um then then people are just paying for your kids through welfare right um but if you make a little bit of money but not enough to be off welfare you get a tax credit and if as it goes up um it goes it peaks and then starts coming back down so that if you're close to the limit that you can make and still get the child tax credit your tax credit is very small um cuz i i i remember looking at that and they're mad because um I guess the 117th Congress did not uh, include, did not uh, continue the child tax credit. But yeah, it's it's not a failure. It's a plan to scam the system. I like Karn. Karn nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's something that you're paying for. Everybody that pays taxes. So a very small number of women like Lauren who are. Um, who are single and self-supporting don't don't use welfare programs um just pay for their own bills right and men who pay for their own bills and their partner's bills usually their their wife or girlfriend um and of course men who don't have kids uh like paying these taxes and then on top of the child tax credit which at its at its peak um the top level of it is in a, you know a few thousand dollars they want on top of that universal child care oh my god so they want you oh my god you <laughs> to pay for their child care and says the oh. co- and and they're bringing up covid-19 again the COVID-19 pandemic demonstrated categorically how critical access to universal and affordable child care is for what? American families and communities. Because when everybody staying sick- at home definitely what? makes child care more necessary, guys. <gasps> totally. <laughs> it's gonna fucking explode! Lauren's dying. <laughs> not only, not only is the government giving you fucking COVID subsidies to sit your fucking ass home... You want them to pay you to watch your own fucking kids? <laughs> yeah. That is what? it. That is it. They want oh, they want shit. us. And and I can say us now because um uh, I'm you know, I'm old, we're empty nesters. So empty nesters pay more taxes because we don't have child dependence and we don't pay uh, get 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 paid. Well, I'm I'm we make too much because I work two jobs and my husband also works, right? We get we we uh make too much for a, a child tax credit anyway at this point. We would not be eligible if we still had underage kids. Um but yeah. And child care stabilization funding will soon run out. Um causing a dangerous cliff for child care providers and families. 
As our country continues to recover from the pandemic, the need to support family is going with childcare. <laughs> I know. Our country is heading off of a fucking cliff because all this money that we keep just burning, fucking blowing right into fucking. It's, we're like fucking strippers at the. We're, we're like we're, you know those money machines. You ever seen those money guns where they just shoot yeah. dollars into the air? This is what we're fucking doing. Yeah. Right. Oh my god! And you want. First off, first off, I would love to know where these people think that we're going to get the money for all of this funding when we keep shipping crate loads of it to fucking Ukraine to fight a war that cannot be won. It's not be won. And even if you did win it, what the hell are you going to gain from this war? Anyway, that's an aside. But come on. Where is this money coming from? Where do they think it's going to come from? (laughs) Yeah. Imagination land. Here's the thing, all right? COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic didn't demonstrate anything. The pandemic was just germs infecting people. That's, Mm -hmm. That's it. That demonstrates nothing. But our social response, our legal response, our authoritative response, our fear response, that demonstrated a hell of a lot. Oh yes, and and here's here's where it gets really uh, disgusting in my opinion, right? I I I was a, an essential worker. I, you can't put a pause button on people who need um, assistance because of their health considerations. I'm I'm a direct support professional for intellectually disabled adults. They don't become undisabled for a year and a half, two years because of a pandemic. It just doesn't right. happen. Right. So they still need everything done for them that gets done for them by the people that are helping them. So my job was considered essential. I was allowed to drive uh, at outside of the hours, everybody else being allowed to drive. I had to carry a letter because my company was afraid that I'd get pulled over. I kind of knew oh, I, I wouldn't. Oh, I still have mine. I yeah. still have mine. <laughs> See, I, I kind of knew I wouldn't get pulled over because, um, at least in Ohio... The, the governor basically came out and was like, don't pull people over unless there's a really seriously good reason. Don't don't enforce speed limits, don't this or that, like, none of that, because every time that you pull someone over and you have to go to the window and talk to them, that's exposure. And uh, so that was basically to protect the cops from exposure to, um, like, healthcare workers who might be <laughs> infected and not know it yet, or or uh, be trying to work anyway, right? Um, and so what ended up, you know, what ended up happening was, uh, like, I, I technically, if you consider the pandemic um, unemployment payments to be legitimate, I technically lost about... 150 bucks a paycheck for working. Right? Mm. My my choice to not like I could have told my employer, I have asthma, it's a vulnerability, I scared, I'm not coming to work, <laughs> I got to stay home. I could have done that. Mm. Um but I didn't. So I I actually like that's you know, 104 weeks of um, lockdowns and and stuff and and crisis, right there. If you count the two years 
during which the the lockdown stuff was in uh, full full blast, right? And people are just now starting to go back to work that that yeah. noped out of healthcare because of the pandemic. Like that's that's a lot of money, uh, yeah. but it was it was worth to me making sure that I continued to to provide the service that I provide and like I do that um not just because of uh you know wanting to have a job like if I just wanted to have a job I'd still be working at the gas station um this is this is activism for me what I do and so I I continued it and um I kind of feel like that was here here we are hearing about um child tax credits and universal child care and all this stuff pay people pay people to do their jobs right? right and and this claim that people made well you know if unemployment was more than you were making then you just weren't being paid enough you know obviously your corporate employer is uh, greedy and not taking proper care of you Guess who sets my wages? Ew. <laughs> the federal government oh. through oh. how much they pay right. for my my uh, client's care. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you want to criticize somebody, guess, guess who gave me a pay raise? <laughs> Donald Trump. Nice. Like we got we got a pretty decent pay raise. Um now my my employer r- relies on that and um charitable donations. And so well, they've given us pay raises every time they've been able. Right. And uh you know, Congress Congress gave us some additional funds in twenty twenty two. Uh so they're they're in twenty late twenty twenty one and and in twenty twenty two. But the fact is, we hear all the time about how corporations and small employers are shafting the little guy. If anybody was shafting my profession, it was politicians. The very politicians who are talking about this like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And feminists said nothing about us. They didn't give a rat's ass about us. And most of the people in my job are women. Because men can't afford to work for that, that low of a wage. Yeah. Right. And and also, when a man goes into caregiving like, like that, like as a nurse's aide or a direct support professional and stuff like that, they get all the heavy lifting. So it's it's really rough on them. So they're demanding universal child care. So people who don't have kids are paying for people have who have kids. And I you know like I I've talked about having multiple jobs and everything. You know my son never was in daycare for the sake of daycare. Mm-hmm. Um at one point when uh parents with little kids moved out of our neighborhood, we tried using daycare as a place for him to be around other kids for for a couple of months and discovered that that's a shit place to, to take your kid for socialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we quit that <laughs> real fast. Um, but we traded childcare with friends. We we yeah. never used daycare for daycare. Yeah. And uh, 
as far we just had to make time to take him places where he would get to spend time with other kids um rather than trying to find something local where there were supposed to always be kids so this this idea that um families are going to be poor and uh not be able to work and so on if the government doesn't pay for their child care i can call on bullshit yeah you know you have you have extended family you have uh friends with with kids most parents have friends with kids the same age or close in age to their kids like you you work together on keeping your kids out of daycare daycare is not a good place for your kid no um it really isn't because often there's too many kids and not enough attention being paid to them right and and they one of the things that really pissed me off was there was a kid in the daycare that was a bully and he bullied my son and you know my son was bigger than all of the other kids his age in that daycare and uh so he kind of clammed up he's like if i do anything it's gonna be too much like if i hit him i'm gonna hurt him a lot more than he can hurt me like he understood that when he was three because other three-year-olds came up to his shoulder right (laughs) like (laughs) and and so he realized he understood he could accidentally knock people down he could he could really do some damage to other kids if he wasn't careful so he uh he didn't hit back. He just put his arms up and and kept the other kid from hitting him again. And for doing that, he was accused by the daycare worker of getting into a fight. And and she said, even if the bullying only goes one way, we punish both kids for fighting to make it fair. And I was like, by what definition of fairness? Does that constitute fairness? How is it fair to punish a crime victim for participation in their crime? You know what that's it that is? That's just laziness on their mm-hmm. part because they don't want to get involved. They don't want to take sides. So it's just well everybody's just well both it's it's both of your faults equally. Well, I'm sorry you were uh, you know checking your phone there, lady, while this whole thing was happening. But <laughs> I, I, just laziness. That's how it comes across to me. Yeah, it, it was it was insane. Um, and that was it. I was like that day. You know that was that was the last straw. There were there were two or three other little things that happened that I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. And, you know, my mom remembered the way nursery school was when I was a kid. And we had a lady that um, encouraged us to play together. And she participated in ensuring our games were fun and safe. And, like, she was just wonderful. She was like a school teacher um, back in the day. But in any case, yeah, she was like, just give it a chance. Just give it a chance. Never mind. This is bad. Pull him out. And you know, like I'm, I'm like I already did. <laughs> I canceled it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the chat here. So to settle the question, no gin bottle. It was a, it was a zombie van. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have to, you have to. Well, no, the one that blew the head gasket. That one was green. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, because the zombie van. <laughs> 
parts fell off of it. <laughs> the wheel fell off. I came home from work and it was like wobbling the whole way home really badly. Oh I drove like 10 miles an hour. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with my van? Oh and I, I came God. inside and I told my husband, I'm like, there is something really wrong. And it feels like it is that tire, that, that back wheel that I, I think the tire rods, <laughs> we had to replace the tire rods in the front. So I'm, I was assuming it was a similar problem. So we go out there and we go to take it off. There are two bolts on the, on the on the wheel. There are supposed Hannah, to be five. Hannah, you're gonna have to write a book about <laughs> how many times you've escaped death. Yeah. Because I I swear to God, I think you're 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 in the running. You might hit the Guinness. Well, I don't think I would have died at ten miles an hour. Um, but. Hannah. In that van, yeah, I think it'd have been okay. It just would have really sucked for me and, and anybody else that was on the road around me at the time. I, whoever was driving behind me had to be sitting there just chewing their fingernails and going, "What the fuck?" Well, yeah. <laughs> like seriously, that the, we 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 took the tire off. One of the last remaining two bolts broke. Oh my god. <laughs> That was kind of when we decided the van was done. The zombie van was done. But, uh... Yeah! It's not I, the I, only I... part that fell off. Um, the, the power steering pump pulley was the first part to, to fall off. It had a little plastic piece. So, it's a wheel that the, um... Uh, serpentine belt, um, operates it. So, it's it's got a groove in it for the serpentine belt. Right. And and then it has um, an an axle in the middle, and there's a little plastic. I can't think of what it's called, but it basically buffers between the axle and the rest of the wheel, and uh, so that's that pulley, right? So that little plastic piece wore out, and that broke off. Mm -hmm. So I and and I didn't. You, you don't have a way to really know that that's happened exactly unless you get into the engine and look for things like that to have happened. And uh, so I, I drove with it like that for a while. And then I was on my way home from Xenia, the, the tornado magnet town. And um, I, uh, I heard something. It sounded like I ran over something. And I think that's when the pulley fell out. It just literally was gone. There was no power steering pump pulley. So what that did was the for somehow the serpentine belt tightened around the other pulleys. It has it goes around several in that vehicle. Mm -hmm. so it was a um, 1994 Plymouth Grand Voyager, and uh, so for for any car guys out there, like that's one that like weaves around all kinds of shit, um, and. So it still ran, everything worked, but it didn't, the, it, it wasn't operating, um, the, the power steering, uh, right? And it wasn't <laughs> operating the alternator properly. Right. Right. So then, um, remember me talking about the, the guy with three hands, the case of the guy with three hands? <clears throat> I went to his hearing from there and I, I parked in, there's a, um, parking garage in downtown Dayton that, uh, real close to the, the courthouse. I parked in that garage 
and I went in and, you know, went to the hearing, and I come out, and I see something hanging down underneath my car, <laughs> right? Now, when I, I felt like I ran over something, heard something hit, I, I looked, I could not see anything. Uh-huh. Like, couldn't see anything in my rear view, couldn't see, like, so I thought, well, it must have been something small, no biggie, doesn't <laughs> seem like it did any damage, and it was, it was a, it's about the size of a 45 record, or for, for the millennials and younger, slightly larger than a CD. Yes. Um... Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. <laughs> About an inch or two larger than a CD. From memory, this this happened uh, several years ago. Now, so um, I come back out of uh, that, and I can see something hanging down from under my car. I get down there and I look, and it is the serpentine belt. It's like shit. <laughs> um, so I I get in there and I'm like trying to get it back around everything, and I'm looking at the diagram and I'm looking at the the um the pulleys that it's supposed to go around and I get it as hooked up as I can it doesn't seem right I can't find there's something I can't find and it they're not labeled so and I didn't know enough about the vehicle to know which one was missing but the power steering wasn't working you know <laughs> so I started up and I drove it back to my apartment and I shut it off. And by the time I get back to my apartment, it is acting up, right? It is really acting up. And uh, so I finally, you know, I, I call my husband and tell him uh, what's happened. Because it's, I, I call him on his lunch break at his job. At that point, he was doing a different job than he is now. And, uh, you know, he he we go through, I'm describing everything to him. And he, he figures out what's missing and... and uh, so I go to, I drove to that vehicle to, uh, like I think AutoZone or or um, there's two or three different ones in the in the neighborhood, and I I got a replacement, and I couldn't get it in. Um, it required a level of uh, finesse that I didn't have in terms of you know maneuverability, like it's in a tight spot. And then there's a bit of strength that was required as well. So I had to wait till he got home and, and everything. Uh, but that was like the first thing. And there, most of it, um, like I had no idea what was going on. That was the first thing that fell off. But uh, parts of that vehicle fell off. We called it the zombie van because it had been through uh, sideways, 200-yard um, sideways slide through a cornfield. Uh, so <laughs> it was in bad shape. It was uh, the alignment was messed up. Um, the undercarriage, there were other things messed up about the undercarriage. Uh, it, it was in bad shape. You but, don't uh, say. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, we spent, we spent um, 100 bucks on acquiring it and uh, like 400 bucks on paint. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a few hundred bucks on fixing it here and there at a time. And we ran it yeah, I mean, it didn't die until it was 26 years old. How long did it last you guys? Uh, about 10, 10, 11 years, something like that. Well, hell like, yeah. Like, we that's, nursed that's, it along for a long time. That's what I call a good return on investment. <laughs> that is pretty much, in a nutshell, 
the survival story of me and my husband. It's how we handled the zombie van. We've handled everything like that in our lives. Yeah. Like, we can make... If we have something, it doesn't have to be something great. If As long as we have something to work with, we make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's how we were with this childcare thing. And, and um, it's how we've been with our finances. We've had to be because, you know, we, we had um, a... Uh, an ex-wife <laughs> sucking a huge portion of our uh, our family finances out of the household, even to the point of, like, she didn't just go after his income. Um, speaking of the whole child tax credit thing, like, they say child support is for the children, right? But if you're on mm-hmm. welfare, the government keeps it. And they say the child tax credit is for the children, but if you have an ex-wife, the government takes it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Like, I had to pay child support. Not as much as he did, but she's not my ex-wife. Right. There, you know. And, and like, and then, of course, I can't, I don't, I'm not allowed to call them my kids. Legally, no, right. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Love them with all my heart, take care of them, provide for them, um, do everything I can to be um one of the one of the adults that made their lives better and safer and easier but nope <laughs> any 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 moment of affection or um any kind of uh happiness like that i had with them was resented like mm. but but she went after my income yeah like, that's that's ex-wives for you <laughs> but yeah um, so when I read about this stuff, like universal child care, child tax credit, paid family and medical leave, like we're talking about things that people who work hard and people who make their own way are being asked or rather told that they owe to people who work less hard or don't work hard or don't work at all. Mm-hmm who don't work with what they have, who don't um, strive to make more out of what they have, who aren't careful with what they have, you know, and and who can't stay within their means, right? So here we are, like we're struggling with the 20-year-old zombie van, right? And you have people who are, are um, they're not, their their struggle is uh, more of, I don't know how to budget myself. You know, their struggle is, I don't know how to make good decisions uh, about where to work and, and what to do after work. Um, their, their struggle is, I don't know how to make a relationship with the father of my children. That's their struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, our struggle is, I don't know how to keep my head above water when I'm paying for all these other people's struggles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I, I'm kind of calmed down now. I think I got a little bit out of me. But, you know, it's just, it's frustrating. You know, I'm I'm sitting here making decisions over whether I should contribute to my 401k or if I should 
pay my fucking electric bill. You know, but and it, it's it's you know, listen, I'm a lot more fortunate than a lot of other people, but I also don't make stupid decisions. You know, I I didn't go out and have a bunch of kids that I couldn't afford to pay for. You know, I I don't have a ton of credit card debt that I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, juggle juggle between my my regular bills. I just go to work every day and it's it's it just is getting harder and harder and harder. My your grocery bill is going up. It's not coming down. Yeah. You know, gas went down for a little bit. It's going right back up. You know, it doesn't get easier for people like me who don't have anyone else or any system to rely on. You know, and we're being asked to then sit around and, and, and subsidize these people's it's it's it is beyond frustration is not I can't even explain it. Yeah. You know, it makes me want to just fucking opt out. I'm looking at the money that I have in my 401k right now and I'm like, well shit, just fucking fire me. Give me please I I fire me and let me take this 401k and I'll have a nice little cushion to sit around and I'll figure something else out. You know, I don't want to pay into the system anymore. No, and, and like the system facilitates, it enables uh, bad decision making. It, it mm-hmm. in fact, it in, it almost requires it. Yes. Like I think I've told the story multiple times of how, you know, when we fell back on that system briefly, uh, when I I lost my teaching job, um, in between when I lost that job and when I went full time at the gas station, and um, I I uh, I had gone in and gotten uh, a food card. Well, at the time, I think they still were using food stamps. No, we had a card. We had a card. Um, but uh, in any case, we had that for for a few months, and then my the company that I was working for gave me full time. And um, part of the reason they gave me full time uh, was was because they really didn't have anybody else to fill the position that they wanted me to fill. Uh, but they were also pretty happy about getting um, credit for helping someone off of TANF, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, which you know, like I used that as a selling point. I'm like, look, I've had to go for for this assistance, and I would like to get off of it, and I can put on paper that I'm getting off of it, and I think you guys get a tax credit for that, don't you? You know, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't really competing with anybody for the position. Nobody else. Nobody else uh, had the same training as I did, and nobody else really wanted it. And uh, so I do that, right? And I'm all excited and happy. I've got, you know, the income is back. I don't have to deal with this, um, you know, these these food card purchases anymore and and everything. Like, So I go back to uh, Job and Family, and I give them my update. Like, all right, thanks, guys. I no longer need you. Done with this. You know, graduated, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Caseworkers is like, you could still collect this if you divorce your husband. Oh, God. Just flat out. You could still collect this if you <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you should not be telling me that. Like, not that I would want to do it. Nobody Somebody should. Will. You know, nobody <laughs> should want to. But you shouldn't right. be, like... What if you have a family that, that, like, there's a cliff, 
in between um, dependence on multiple programs like Medicaid and uh, food assistance and rent assistance and uh, uh, utility assistance. There's a whole bunch of different types of assistance that you can get. Like there was a bunch of stuff they, they said, oh, you should apply for these, you know. No. Like I, I don't need all of those things. I'm just applying for this one. Every time you go in there, well, you should apply for this too. No, I, I don't need it, right? But yeah, um, there's a cliff between dependence on all of that stuff and how much uh, you can make in a minimum wage job and how much it costs to live, right? And so if you um, if you make too much to receive all of that assistance, like if you, you make not a dollar too much, you can still receive it. And you make a dollar too much, it all gets taken away. Right? And then if that dollar too much is hundreds of dollars less than the value that you're getting in terms of, you know, being able to live a certain place, being able to uh, pay for your utilities, being able to eat and stuff like that. A lot of people will do anything they can to not make that dollar too much unless they come up with something that's going to make them the hundreds of dollars more. So if you got somebody that is just in that situation, uh, their latest raise at work or something else happens that puts them that dollar over, um, and then you say, well, you can still collect all this stuff if you divorce your husband. That is like putting food in front of a starving person and then saying, yeah. well, you can eat if you divorce your husband. Right. Right. Like, really? It's 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 coercion. And uh, it's the type of co coercion that drug dealers use. Yeah. So, yeah. They're wanting paid universal child care, paid family and medical leave. Um... And that would be paid sick leave. And they're they're basically saying um, these policies created the first ever paid and family leave protections for some U.S. workers. So apparently FMLA doesn't exist. Now, right. FMLA isn't necessarily paid, but you can't get fired for FMLA leave. Your employer is legally barred from firing you. So if you are have... There, are there circumstances where they don't have to pay you for FMLA? Yes. Really? You, If you have paid time off, you can take your PTO time to pay for it, mm -hmm. but FMLA is not guaranteed to be paid. They do not have to pay you for taking that time off. Wow. That um, I didn't know. Yeah, I've been on FMLA uh, twice, when my mom was dying and when my dad was dying, and both times... The pay that I got during that time came out of my bank of hours. Now, my company's very generous with PTO, um, where my regular pay isn't incredibly high. Um, I can build up a bank of, like, 300 hours, and it builds up really fast. And that's just sick leave. And then I get PTO on top of that, um, where... Early on, I didn't realize how fast that built up, and I always thought I was going to use it all up. 
I, I like it rebuilds really fast. And with me working a lot of overtime, like I had the hours, so I never yeah. was without pay during that time. Uh, although living someplace other than at home for for the amount of time that I was gone, that's expensive. Yeah. But um. But yeah, that's something that my employer does because they can and they find it effective in retaining employees they have a hard time doing that so it's there are are, um, factors that can exist between employer and employee that can incentivize that kind of benefit without the government and getting involved and where there are not it may not be beneficial to either the the employee or the employer for them to just retain that job if they are uh, in the long term, not going to be there for like, you know, five weeks at a time or 10 weeks at a time or whatever. Uh, and mm-hmm. then they have another thing, because um, I have a coworker with uh, disabled kids, um, intermittent FMLA, which means essentially because of your family situation, you might have to call off a lot and your employer can't fi- fire you for poor attendance because of your family situation. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there are specific circumstances under which you can get approved for that. And that Mm -hmm. is basically, it's a a hardship for the employer. And, you know, like, the smaller the employer, the bigger the hardship. Um, Yeah. Now, we have almost like a family uh, at at work among my coworkers, and we all just sort of rally around. And when my parents were dying, one of my coworkers picked up all of my shifts. Like, he just mm-hmm. stepped right in and was like, I can work those hours. And, you know, he just lost um, his mother-in-law, and, and I worked his hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, we've done that, and I've worked her hours, and she's worked some of my hours, and, like, we've done that. And and that's that's an important thing to foster. Um, Government-mandated stuff like this kills that, in a way, because it, it creates a situation where... Uh, the employer is SOL. If the coworkers don't mesh together like that, they don't work together like that, the mm-hmm. employer can't do anything about it. Whereas, mm-hmm. um, you know, the employer is incentivized to build a team in in these circumstances that's that's going to be strong and work together and pick up for each other and stuff. Um, so this is really kind of, it's detrimental in some ways. And and it, and it, the other thing that it will do is there are some employers that will not be able to survive that, and they will go out of business. And all the people whose jobs were being protected by this will be unemployed because their jobs were eliminated by this. And that right. happens every time they mandate something like that. Um, I, I'm going to have to call it here because we're at 9.20, and I do work tonight, and I want to have time for the patron show. Uh, which we've been looking into an article in the patron show on how all political issues <laughs> are backlash against hashtag me too. <laughs> so we're about halfway through that article from last week and we're going to read more into it this week. This this is a, um, a more feminist whampering. Like really more feminist whampering. And they're they're but they're still butt hurt about the Depp Heard case, and they always will be. Oh, and they don't God. understand 
the, the why women have um, rallied behind Depp. So they're going to go on about that forever. Uh, but, but there's a bunch of other stuff going on there as well. So next week, we'll pick up here with the uh, uh, Ms. Magazine article. We'll read a little bit more about paid sick time and paid sick leave and support for unions and worker organizing. Because apparently that has never happened before. And it's all about women. Mm-hmm. So that's that's our little preview of next week. And... Uh, I would like to thank everybody for listening to us read more of uh, the the feminist, the hundred feminist organizations that aren't necessarily feminist organizations, uh, wham, whampering to Congress about things that men just don't do for women, and and only women need them. And uh, thanks to uh, Lauren for sticking with me through the whole thing. And. Uh, Thanks to everybody who works in the background to make HBR talk happen. And good night, all. Good night, y'all. Oh, wait, wait. We aren't good nighting. I, I know I didn't... I don't think I got any super chats because I, I didn't see any go through. Like, I've been trying to watch the chat and keep an eye, and I don't, I don't think that we had a super chat the whole time. I'm going to double check. We have two... YouTube um, chats because uh, we had YouTube does this weird thing sometimes it starts a new stream but I don't see any super chats so if I missed any super chats I'll have to go over it and and look in the other stream too um, if I missed any super chats my sincere apologies it it always throws me for a loop when YouTube does this thing where it ignores Restream, or maybe it's Restream doing it. It started a different stream than the one I had set up. Um, it's very annoying. So, uh, but I haven't looked in um, the Rumble, or not the Rumble rants. Well, I haven't looked there either, but I haven't looked in the uh, Super Chows. i got to make sure we didn't get any of those before we stop. And it looks like there's a new post in there. There's two super chows. Mrs. Anne of Arc says cold sores can be spread from infected people kissing babies as well. I'm pretty sure that is how I got mm-hmm. it. I, uh, yeah, I had cold sores as a child. Um, so there's a particular uh, thing with circumcision that you should look up. Um, oh, the moil thing. Yeah. And there have been babies die from herpes infection from cold sores. Yeah. During like there's a bunch of regulations that have been passed now because of that. Um but it would just be better if they weren't cutting cutting them babies. at all. Like yes, don't yeah. cut the baby. Um then we have Meredith G gave us uh, five dollars and said HBR talk two forty nine, honey for the badgers. I'm so tired of feminists talking about historical oppression. It's not oppression. What we faced was restriction to protect us. The ingratitude is frustrating. And mm-hmm. that's true. Like, yes. so if you have somebody else who is legally responsible for your safety and your finances and even crimes you might commit, that person has authority over you as part of that responsibility because you cannot take responsibility for another human being without having authority over them. Yep. Um, 
scapegoat gave us five dollars in a super chat and said mom hasn't been working for three months i am the only one in a house working out of a family of four i am the child support that is quite a bit to handle yeah that is quite a bit to handle and that definitely came from uh the live stream that the restream started because it's not showing up in the live stream i can see so if there was any other super chat in that live stream, I didn't see it. Um, Nobafan21 gave us a dollar in Rumble and said, I find it funny people think most of the second wave feminism was good because they forget why the media made the angry feminist trope during the 80s. I have no <laughs> doubt those depictions age like fine wine. Oh, yeah. Also, Mr. 303 feels your pain. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then, and that's it. That's all of the, um, that's all the chats that I can find. So I think that's everything. And this time I will say, follow it up with thanks to everybody who works in the background to make HBR Tech happen. And, and thanks very much for the various chats, guys. Good night, all. Good night.